good morning to all of you. Hey, to the body of Christ that meets through new life, I want to welcome you this beautiful Lord's Day. And I have to tell you something that it was a little late getting posted because of technical difficulties and basically me, I'm the technical idiot. Uh, sure miss Miss T up here because I've recorded this. I have, I have preached this sermon in here twice now and neither time it recorded and it was because first time I didn't turn my mic on and the second time is because for some reason the input button was on one and two and I thought that was that was where it was so I thought that was normal somehow it recorded last week this week it wouldn't record it so I got back after preaching it the second time and there was no volume on the record so I got to experimenting and the mic button worked but then when it was on one and two it didn't so now the third time hopefully is the charm there's been there's been a lot of protest evidently by uh, the powers of be like we've talked before the the prince of this world's not wanting this message to get out but the Lord's going to overcome and we're going to get this message out anyway and uh, as we begin, let's start with a song. Let's praise God in our hearts. Let's lift up our voices with Brother Ray. And, and Ray, I've got him right here with me. So you take over, Ray, and you, you play us a song as we get ready to get started. All right, brother?
Thank you, brother. Thank you. Hey, wasn't that a great song? You done well. Give me a high five, brother. All right. Thank you. Now, Ray's actually on video and we communicated, but he's here with me in spirit. And I just gave you a spiritual high five, brother. Thank you. And uh, third time's charm. I just hope my vocal cords can hold up because this is a lesson that uh, that shook me to the core whenever it was given to me. And I'm going to get a drink of water and get started with you. Father, as, as we've sang our song to you and we're praying and petition to you and we're going to open up your holy and divine word that lives and abides forever. Father, this message is not an easy one. This message is a heavy burden. And Father, I pray that it will be received by the body of Christ to motivate us into action and to change what's going on in this nation and the world around us. Father, it's, it's a dire truth that needs to be taught. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for this illustration and this warning so that we might act and be prepared before it's, it's too late. May your Holy Spirit be here, Father, and be with each of us. May you protect them. May you guide them. May you open their minds to this. In Jesus' name. Uh, although it's fine Lord's Day, we had storms last night, but the sun is shining this morning. And I want each and every one of you to know, if you, if you saw the YouTube channel, the first one was a prayer about the blood being on the doorpost. And the angel of death passed over and how that that is my prayer for my home and my family, but for the home and your families of each one of you and your loved ones. I want you to be safe and protected. By the blood of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's my constant prayer that you're all safe and that he will keep you from this viral plague that's passing through our midst. And that hopefully some sort of normalcy is going to follow. And, you know, I saw a video parody from a movie that showed, uh, looked like they were in a church ceremony. And uh, Chris Farley was coming down the aisle just high-fiving everybody, and they was having a good time, and, and I, I hope that that's a picture of a celebration that we're going to have once this thing is over and we're completely safe and sound, and we gather together as a body of Christ to worship, and I hope it's a big celebration like that. But then, I got to working on my lesson for today that, the, that I pray every week that the Lord and the Holy Spirit will give to me to, to reveal unto his so that they will know what he wants to say. And as I was kneeling in prayer and that, this message came to me. I was convicted in my heart that I haven't been doing something. 1 Timothy chapter 2 begins with a call to the people of God to be in constant prayer for our leaders. Paul there exhorts, saying, I exhort you, first of all, most importantly, that supplications, prayers, and intercessions 
and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all who are in authority, that we, the body of Christ, might live a quiet and peaceable life with all godliness and reverence. Did you know that supplication and prayer is a direct phone line to God? And I want you to know something that this word here reveals to you and I about our prayers. When he says, therefore, I exhort you, first of all, to, to give these prayers and supplications for your leaders, that that word means, the word there that was translated means to, to give information to someone from close beside. Our prayer is, is taken to the throne room of God and brought close beside him. And it says that it is admitted as legal evidence. That's what this word means. That our prayers are legal exhibits of evidence in the court of God. So that when God enacts and our adversary, the devil, is saying, you can't do that because look at the way they are acting down there. And God can say, look at the prayers of my people. Here is exhibit A. And therefore, I am acting upon the prayers of my saints that are there. So he said, I have a legal right to move whenever you pray for your leaders and for all who are in authority. And I encourage you to do that so that you can lead a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence and a quiet life. Isn't that what we want? So I repented on bended knee this week that I have taken that line for granted. I thought God's in control. Sure, once in a while we pray for him, but not often enough. And so I took this as a challenge that, Lord, we're in. From the lesson that was revealed to me that I'm going to share, it is that our nation is in trouble. And it's, first of all, because we as the body of Christ have not acted the way that we're supposed to do towards our leaders to force them to, that our voices of reason and, and the numerous of them, our voices and our prayers, not only to God, but our voices to the leadership would have them to enact laws and ordinances in the directions of ways of godliness and righteousness so that we can live a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And I haven't been praying that. So I prayed that this week because I want to bring to you a lesson from the book of Amos. So if you want to turn there now to Amos chapter 1 to begin with, and then we're going to move to chapter 3 and then chapter 6. But Amos chapter 1. Amos is between the Psalms and Matthew, and you go past all of the longer uh, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then you start coming to the smaller books, and in the middle of that you will find Amos. And he's an Old Testament prophet who is somewhat like you and I. And what I found in that book when I was led there, really, now wait a minute, I mean, it really, really began to shake me up inside. And as I was moved to ask certain questions, I was led through the research of this man and his message to some things that absolutely shook me and chilled me of what is taking place with them and then with us in our country today. You know, Amos was a country boy. Listen to how it begins. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, 
Tekoa was his hometown. It was a lot like Perryton. You see, that hometown was 13 miles south of Jerusalem, so he wasn't a big city boy. He was a long ways there. From there, he was out in the country. He was a sheep breeder. He he bred the sheep and tried to improve the strains and make good lines, and so that people would want to buy them for their own and, and for their own use. And so. He was a country boy, and that prepared him in a special way to bring the message to the city. Let me tell you why. Because living in the rural countryside, you're close to God's creation, to the nature, to the animals, and close to God. And you don't see a lot of things going on that are wicked and evil. But he gets to the big city. He goes up to something like in Indianapolis or New York. Or an L.A. And what he sees whenever he goes up there appalls him and it shocks him because evil is rampant everywhere. And nobody is afraid. Nobody is reacting. Nobody even considers it wrong because it is the normal of the society in that city. And the country boy goes to the city and he sees all the evil that's going on there and he is appalled by it. And he begins to realize why God is calling him to take the message to the people and to the leaders because their new way of normalcy is in direct opposition towards God. It is evil. Listen to verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And this was two years before the earthquake. Wow, the Holy Spirit's getting real specific here. He wants us to know this for a reason. And you're going to find out in a moment why it's shocking. He's being very specific that this word came while Uzziah and Joash, or in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, while Jeroboam and Uzziah was the kings of, of Israel and Judah. That span of those two kings was between 790 B.C. down to 753 B.C. So somewhere in there was the message of Amos. Oh, but he's more particular than that. He pinpoints it. He says which came two years before the earthquake. You know, earthquake's a sign. But archaeological evidence has shown that the great earthquake happened in 760 B.C. So that means that Amos, the prophet, spoke these words to the nation in 762, two years before the earthquake of 760 B.C. So 762 was when these words were given. Now, why is the Holy Spirit giving such a specific detail about the warning of the words of Amos to the people? Well, let me tell you something, because I started looking at, at this book and reading it, and it kept saying that if you do not return to me, I am bringing these things upon you because of your iniquities. But you will not return to me. Therefore, judgment is going to come on you. I am going to bring these things upon you. And I ask the question then, when did the judgment fall? And what it said was that it was 40 years later, in 722 B.C., that Assyria marched on Israel and Samaria.
fail. So what the Lord God is saying to you and I through this word is that God waited 40 years patiently for them to return to him and they didn't do it. That once the warning signs were out there that you have left me and I am very upset about it. I gave you 40 years and I gave you messengers to tell you about it and you would not listen. And in 722 B.C., 40 years after the message of Amos, they came. And that started me thinking about everything that's happening with us and a lot of the same things, the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilence, the plague, the virus. Okay. What might have happened 40 years ago? And the first thing that popped into my spirit was the Ten Commandments being removed. So I go to Google and I type in that search bar these words. When did the USA take away the Ten Commandments? And the results when the page refreshed scared me. Because it said this, it came up with these words. In 1980, the United States Supreme Court struck down a Kentucky statute that had mandated that every public school classroom display the Ten Commandments on its walls. The ruling came that now prevents public schools from displaying the Ten Commandments of God. Folks, that was 40 years ago this year. Forty years ago, the United States Supreme Court of America, the law of the land that makes the rules, decided that this country no longer wanted to follow and teach our children to grow up to be adults after the moral code of the Lord God Almighty. They said we are taking the Ten Commandments out of our schools. You will no longer be allowed to show them. You are not going to teach them. You are not going to tell your children about the commandments of God. And we sat around and we did nothing. This was a warning shot 40 years ago today. 40 is a biblical number of testing and judgment. If you remember, all oh, the patience of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, only eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure of baptism doth also save us. But in those days, while the ark was preparing, there was warning after warning, but no one listened. So what happened? The door was shut, and for 40 days and 40 nights, the rains came, and there was destruction because you didn't heed the warnings. Whenever our Lord was baptized of John in the River Jordan, and he, he rose up, and the, the heavens opened, and the Spirit landed on him like a dove, and the, the voice of God rang from heaven and said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Jesus was immediately then taken to the wilderness, and he was tested of the devil for, what, 40 days and 40 nights. Our Lord, right before the cross, as he was trying to warn his people, he was teaching that last week leading up to his cross about I am the light of the world. These things are going to happen. You guys, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You have been doing this and you should have been doing that. And he warned them and they didn't like it. And the, the disciples tried to change the subject as they walked 
how great it is. Look at the works of the handiwork that all this represents God. And he says, this does not because you have left God just like I told those guys. And let me tell you something. After I am gone, there is not one stone of this building that you adore so much. There's not one stone going to be left upon another that it will not be removed. It's going to be torn down. That happened approximately 40 years after the cross in 70 AD when Rome came upon him. Folks, I'm telling you, the number 40 means something. It means testing and judgment. 40 years ago, the Ten Commandments were removed by an order of the highest court of the law of the land. Are you not afraid? We need to be afraid because that's the message that the Lord's given me on what's going on. Let's go through Amos, and I hope by the end of this that you will, like me, repent on bended knee and begin praying for the leadership of our country before it's too late. The first two chapters are filled with the judgments of God. Why am I coming against the nations? God says, I am now getting ready to come against the nations, and it's because of your iniquities. Every single one of them, and he begins the laundry list. He says, I am coming against Damascus. Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and my people that I love, Israel and Judah. I am judging the nations because of your iniquities. We can list them off. China, North Korea, South Korea, Italy, now the United States. The virus is going across the world. The nations are being judged. If you're following along now, turn to chapter 3. We're going we're gonna to camp here for a little bit. Here's the bulk of the lesson in, in Amos chapter 3. And Lord, this is a heavy burden. The name Amos means the bearer of the burden, a burden bearer. He bore the burden of taking the message to the people of God. And I bring to you the message of Amos as a heavy burden today. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, against you, against my whole family that I delivered. You and you only have I known of all the families of the earth. I want you to know something, body of Christ. The Lord makes a distinction between us and the rest of the world. He has chosen us and we are loved by him. And he makes a distinction. The world can act like the world if it wants to. But the people of God must act like the people of God. The nations that represent God are supposed to act like a nation that represents God. And, and first of all, I want you all to know that I'm not preaching directly at, at us here because I'm, I, I am so proud of this congregation. Because every one of you loves the Lord and loves his word. And you are Bereans and you are enjoying studying the word of God and praising him and trying to walk in the light with him. I know that from talking to you each week. I am not bringing this message to you. It is to the nations also. This, this word is to you and I is why we are in the predicament we're in and that we need to pray and to change our nation. But the change has to come through them. I think that we have been changing, so I want you to know the context of this. God says, I make a distinction between my people and the other people. And my people are not acting like my people. And therefore, I 
come against them. Look what he says in verse 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? That means that to have fellowship with God, you have to walk in agreement with his will. In other words, two can't walk together unless they agree on the same thing or else they should split apart because when there's disagreement, there's detention there. There's, there's too much tension and, and friction. So to walk together in unity, you got to be agreed. And so 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7 says this. This is the message that we have heard from God himself and we now deliver to you. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say or we think that we have fellowship with God, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying to ourselves. We are deceiving ourselves, and we do not realize that we are not practicing the truth. You see, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. If you're going to walk in darkness, you do not have fellowship with God. And if you think you do, you're just deceiving yourself and you're lying to yourself. But, verse 7, I love this. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then he promises that we have fellowship with him, one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And that's why when we walk in the light, the blood of Christ cleanses us. And now we have fellowship with God and we're with him. But it says... That two cannot walk together unless they are in agreement. They are in the light with God. God says, I have wanted you to walk with me, but you are not in agreement with me in Amos. Two cannot walk together unless they agree. And you have left me, and you are not agreeing with me. So in verse 4, Amos continues and says, Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? You see, I guess it's a character tendency of the lion to roar, not to hear his own voice, not to do it in, in alone in the darkness, but his voice is raised when there is a prey evident. That's when he mainly roars. It says, will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? So why does a lion roar when he sees his prey? Well, let me tell you. That lion knows the tendencies of the creatures, of what he likes to eat. And he knows their paths. He knows where they eat. He knows where they water and what their tendencies and what they do. And so he, as a camouflaged animal, will try to, to hide somewhere in those ways and watch and wait for one to approach. And when the time is right, when the timing is right and they are close enough that he can pounce upon them, he will let out a big roar as he gets up. Why the roar? Because it fills the animal with fear. And as it hears the sound and looks at the roar, it is frozen so that the roar gives the lion the adrenaline to jump. He's using the, the, all of the muscles of his diaphragm and his body to roar and jump. And it freezes the prey so that he can land upon it and snatch the prey. And the Lord says, have I not been ready to spring now? Why am I ready to spring? I am going to be like a lion who is going to roar and pounce upon its prey. Why? Well, listen to verse 6. Because 
If a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people be afraid? In other words, when the alarm sounds, you should be scurrying with fear. When, when the alarm goes off, when the roar is going to sound, you should have already been afraid and heard what's going on and being moved like a gazelle to get out of the way. But no, you have had no fear. Whenever we just lost a wonderful man who was a friend of mine this week, he was 98 years old, and he, he was fought in the war with World War II with the greatest group of this nation has ever saw. And in World War II, they would have air raid sirens. And when those air raid sirens would go off, people would scramble to find safety. They would scramble to find a place of refuge. And the men would go out to protect. God says, I have sounded a trumpet, the alarm, in those days in the cities. I have given, in other words, I have given you my word from Amos. I am sounding the alarm that you need to repent and return to me from your wicked ways. But you were not afraid. You continued into your, your revelry and your rebellion against God. And you continued to pass laws that takes the commandments away from the kids and the murders our babies. And you expect me not to react. I'm going to be like a lion that's going to get ready to pounce upon you. But no one is afraid. So therefore, look at verse 6 as it continues. Therefore, if there's a calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Oh, you like to blame the devil, don't you? Well, the devil can't do nothing unless the Lord allows it. And he allows it whenever there's justification. When the adversary brings justification, when the wickedness of God, the stench of it comes up before his nostrils like it did in Noah's day, and like it did at Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord is hearing all of this, and the adversary is bringing the accusations, then he must act. But when the prayers go up and the nation repents, then God is justified to not do it like he did in Nineveh. We better be in Nineveh these days. Because if not, they, he said, after 40 days, will Nineveh not be destroyed? And they went and sackcloth and asses, folks. We better get in prayer like they did in Jonah's day in Nineveh. Because God says, I've blown the trumpet. And it's been sounding for 40 years ever since you've left me. But no one is moving. No one is afraid. Let's finish it. So when the calamity is brought by me, and that word calamity means it's raw. The word raw, which means bad evil, but it also goes deeper with the affliction and the adverse distress because of the evil that's being brought. God says, I am sending bad things to hopefully alarm you, to wake you up so that you return unto me. But you know what? No one has been alarmed. No one is hurrying back to righteousness in this nation. So verse 7, it goes on and says, surely the Lord will do nothing Unless he reveals, now listen, the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets, the ones who speak forth the word of God. The word of God is going out through his word that's saying 40 is a number. You better be reacting. I'm sounding alarm. Is any of you not going to be acting upon this? Are you not going to change it? Because if not, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. Because, as we go on in verse 8, the lion is roaring. Look around you. 
We've been talking about it for, for the last year. The earthquakes, the famines, the plagues, now the pestilence, the disease. These, Jesus said, are the beginning of sorrows in Matthew 24. There's signs like when a woman is pregnant and she is full with child, and when the time to deliver has come, the pains of birth starts coming, and you know he's coming now. There's no time to wait. Right now, with this moving through, the Lord is trying to tell us there's no time to wait. The birth pains are coming. Uh, it may not be the day of the Lord. It may just be the, the Lord's day against this nation in judgment. But the lion is roaring in a moment. He's about ready to leap on his prey. He is telling us we've got to act fast. Continue reading in verse 10. No one is sharing a warning, he says, between there. No one is... No one is scurrying out of the way. No one is afraid. Therefore, verse 10, because you all don't know how to do right, says the Lord, you continue to store up your violence and your robbery and your palaces. You know, the palaces are referring to the leaders of the land, the leaders of the state and the governors, what do they call it, the mansion? There's the governor's mansion. We have the White House, we have the House that holds the Senate and the Congress and the House that, that holds that Supreme Court that made that judgment 40 years ago today. He said, from your palaces, from your palaces, you rob the people. You know what? They, they passed the stimulus and everybody's happy. Ooh, I'm gonna get a check. You know what they did? They're going to take away more of your freedoms. They're going to end up taxing you more to pay this off than you'll ever get from them. But in it, they broke thing after thing in this bill that is to make them wealthy, to increase their palaces. Did you know they voted them millions of dollars in raises to go along with this or they wouldn't pass it? Yeah, they did for themselves. They stuck in things about Planned Parenthood and everything else. They loaded this bill with all kinds of things and what, for what is supposed to be a stimulus for the plague that is going through the country. So here's, the, here's what God is saying through this verse right here. You know what? I sent an alarm. You, how did you react to the alarm? Oh, you started passing bills and adding things to it that don't matter about the plague and getting rid of it. It doesn't matter about the morality of your nation. It's about padding your pockets. And, and your pet peeves that you like to pad and you are robbing from the poor to be able to do what you want to do and to be in luxury in your palaces and I'm about ready to bring your palaces down is what the Lord is saying. He said, I am going to leap. Now look what he says in verse 10. You don't know how to do right. You just proved it by the way you voted. You continue to store up violence and robbery in your palace. Therefore, verse 11, Therefore, because of this, thus says the Lord God. Now, I want you to listen to this, and this is number two. First is 40 that stuck out with me as this was going on, these coincidences. Secondly, I am going to send an adversary among you. You know what the word for adversary is? T-S-A-R, pronounced SAR. What's this virus? It's part of the SARS virus. The coronavirus is a part of the SARS virus. He says, I am sending a SAR. That's what the actual word of God says. I am sending a SAR, which means affliction, anguish, 
sorrow and tribulation. That's what that word means. It doesn't just mean an adversary. It means trouble, sorrow, affliction. And I am sending it as an enemy that shall be all around the land. Hmm. I don't see a connection. Do you? I don't see a coincidence right here. Do you? No, the word of God is spelling it out for us, people, if we will listen. I am sending the sar among you as an enemy, and it's going to be all through your land. And your palaces are going to be plundered. And listen to what your enemy is going to do as we keep reading in verse 11. The enemy will be all around your land, and it will sap your strength from you. What's that virus do? It saps your strength. And you can't breathe. And you can't move. And I read this last week where one ended up dying because he could not eat because they could not take the ventilator out long enough to even get a piece of food because there was no breath to be in. I will send a sar among you that will sap your strength and it will plunder your palaces because you will be too weak to prepare and protect yourself unless you quickly turn back to the Lord. Now you know why I hit my knees for our leadership. Verse 12, read on with me about this adversary. Thus said the Lord, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of the lion, so we're back to the lion. As a shepherd takes from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, that must be another character trait of a lion, like roaring when it's prey. You know, I've, I've never, I've seen on documentaries lions attacking, but I've never actually been there and watched the whole thing. But I do know that he's a part of the cat family, and I have a cat. She's named Tiger, appropriately. And this tiger cat, most of the time, likes to be fat and lazy and lay in the garage. But every once in a while, she'll get out and do her little hunting thing like a cat's supposed to do, like her nature does. And she'll go out, she'll hunt chipmunks or she'll hunt mice or moles or um, rabbits. And you know what she does? She eats about two-thirds of it. And then you'll come walking in, and right there on the mat by the door is two legs. Don't tell, I can't tell you how many times that there's been two legs or a portion of a head like an ear that's just been left by the mat. She wants you to know what she's been doing. She gives you evidence of what I'm going to do so that you know it was me. You know what? There's two legs right now in my yard two days ago that I saw. It was from a chipmunk. Now I come and the Lord leads me to this section of scripture and he says, I'm going to pounce on you like a lion because you have left me and you have not returned even though I give you warning after warning and you don't return. Well, when I pounce upon you with, first of all, there's going to be a sar come out among you and it will sap your strength and you will not be able to protect yourself and I'm going to send them in to plunder you. And when that lion comes in to plunder you, the shepherd, the, the people of God who are going to try to put this land back together looks and all they're going to be able to pull from the mouth of the lion is those two legs or a piece of an ear. Folks, this is serious. The Lord God says, 
of Israel. That was God's people then. So you can insert now the church in America. So shall you be taken out. You will be taken out and you will be dragged like a lion drags its prey from your very beds of your home. You leaders, you are got summer homes and you've got winter homes and you've got your palaces and you've got your mansions and you are up there in, in the stately palace buildings of America called the White House and, and the House of Congress and Senate. And you are sitting there, but when God gets done with you, there's going to be nothing left but two lay bones or a piece of your hair, and your palace is going to be crumbled, just like he did with the temple, that not one stone was left upon another, because you have rejected your God. May God help us. May God get this message to them so that they will move with fear and repent even if it is to save their own sorry little tales. He goes on in verse 13. I hear this. I, the Lord God, am testifying against the house of Jacob. I want to talk to you about what he means when he talks about Jacob. You know, most of the time he's talking about my people, Israel. But every once in a while when the judgment comes, he talks about Jacob. Jacob is in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham, the father of our faith, had Isaac. And Isaac had a pair of twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the one with whom the lineage of Christ comes, but he was the second born. His twin brother was first, but as Esau was coming out, Jacob reached up and grabbed his heel. And he tried to pull him back in so that he could be first, but it didn't happen. And they tied the thread around his arm. And Jacob means the supplanter or the chiseler. Jacob represents the flesh. Whenever God converted his heart, then he renamed him in his new creation as Israel. And Israel means the prince of God. So he went from being Jacob, the chiseler of the flesh, walking in darkness, to Israel, the prince of God, who is supposed to be walking in the light. But you know what? Israel left their God. They started worshiping other gods again at Dan and Bethel. And they said, it is too much for you to worship God the way he wants you to worship. Do it the way you want to, and I'm going to make it easy for you. You do it this way. You stay right here and do it the way you want. And God says, you are no longer Israel. I am coming against you because you are Jacob. You are back in the flesh and you have rejected me and rejected what I have done to you in the blessing. The Lord God has taken America and made him like, like that of old of Israel. He has blessed us. He has made us the number one place. He has given us blessing upon blessing. And what have we done? We have kicked God in the teeth. And we said 47 years ago in 73, we killed the babies and we won millions of And he said... Forty years ago, we're taking God away from the school and the kids. We're going to grow up a moral, an unmoral majority. And we are going to have our way on the way we want to have it. And God said, you look like Jacob and you make me sick. And I am going to say this to the house of Jacob. I am testifying, verse 13, to Jacob's out there. Thus saith the Lord God. The Lord God of hosts. Whenever he says the Lord of hosts, let me tell you something. God means serious business because the word host means army. 
So now he's talking as the chief commanding general officer of the army of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the general of his army. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the army. And so this is a military term, and what he says is this is a battle because it's a spiritual battle, and darkness is trying to win over light, and so light has to come against darkness and run it out. So thus saith the Lord God to Jacob, who my people who are now walking in the flesh instead of in the spirit, the Lord of the army is saying something. The God of war says, in that day, in the day that I bring my punishment upon your nation because of their transgressions, it won't only be upon the nation. I will also visit with destruction upon the altars of Bethel. We'll talk a little more about Bethel in the upcoming weeks. But for today, just know that we found out on Wednesday nights that Bethel means house of God. El is God and Beth is house. So Bethel stands as a representation of the house of God. Today, it's the church. So what God is saying, when I come against the nation, don't expect the church to be spared. You'll be in motive too. Why? Because you've not voiced enough prayers to change this country. You've not voted in such a way that you voted and mandated that people are in office that will vote godly so that you can lead a quiet, godly, peaceful life. But you have desired to walk in darkness rather than light. You've voted in such who would do that. So therefore, I am coming against you, O house of Jacob. And because my people have not commanded by their prayer and by their voices and being the squeaky wheel instead of the world being the squeaky wheel and you can't even tell which bathroom to go into anymore because of gender confusion because you would rather do that then my church hasn't been powerful enough of a voice in the community then don't expect any protection from me either you're going to go along with the nation because the nation is going down it happened in Israel when that when that took happened in 722 and all that everything went even the worship of God Daniel a man of God was taken captive into Babylonia and he had to be there and we don't get to see that he got to worship in a temple he was betrayed because he would go to his room to pray to his God so don't expect the church, just like the temple was taken down, just like Israel was taken down. He said, when I come against your nation for your transgressions, I will also visit with destruction the altars of Bethel. Now, why the altars? The altars is your worship. That's where you repent and offer your sacrifices for sins unto God and offer up the blood of the lamb back then and the blood of the different things up to God for forgiveness. And he says, your altars stink. You aren't asking people to walk in the light and to walk in righteousness. You're saying, come in. Uh, act however you want to walk. It's okay. We just want numbers. We want you to be happy and throw a party. And we have not changed the lives of the individuals that come to the door. God loves every one of you. I, myself, like Paul, can say I, I've been chief of sinners. But when God works upon the heart and makes you a new creature, you're supposed to be Israel, not Jacob. You're supposed to be Christian, Christ-like, and not Daryl. When you come in, you got to change. You didn't change. 
So whenever you, he goes on in chapter 4, if you're going to read as a Berean chapters 1 through 6 this week, you read in chapter 4, you've offered sacrifice after sacrifice and your tithes and your offerings, but you did them out of the way you wanted to do and after your own heart, and I am not accepting that. That worship is in vain, in vain do you worship me, seeking for doctrine and commandments of men. It's vanity. I don't accept it anymore, and so here's what I'm going to do. I am going to punish the church along with it. The altars, the worship stinks. I am not accepting it. And then he says this, verse 14. The horns of your altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. What's that mean? Hold my vocal cords, hold out. <clears throat> what does it mean when the horns of the altar will fall off? Let me tell you. The horns were carved out of wood and then overlaid with brass because brass can withstand the heat of the fire of the offerings. They are there above those offerings of sin unto God for forgiveness. They represent power. Whenever you look at a ram, you look at those mountain rams that are up there, what do they do? They crash horns. Horns is your representation of power and protection. The horns of the altar, when you are offering up those worship of sacrifice unto God that is holy and pure, those horns represent the protection and the power of God over his people and over their worship. But your worship stinks. And therefore, the Lord God says, I am going to cut the horns off the altar. And that means there's no protection from my power anymore. You didn't want to represent me in your life or in your representation to those who made the rules over you. You let them take the commandments out. You let them kill the babies. You let them have gender confusion. So, you know what? Here's what happens. When I judge the nation... Don't expect protection, body of Christ. We're going to have to trust in God to protect us through the storm like he did Noah, like he did Joseph, like he did Daniel, like he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to have to go through the storm, and we're going to have to trust in the Lord God to protect us through the storm when the judgment comes. So don't give up. Stay in Christ, and you can be protected, but, but the entire thing that as we know it today, he says, I can cut the horns off and there's no protection and you may not get to worship the way you used to worship once I get done with you from my punishment. You're acting in the flesh instead of the spirit. So your protection as a whole across the nation is going to go. There's an illustration of this if you want to read it as a Berean in 1 Kings chapter 2. Read that chapter. But in it, David is dying. He passes the kingdom to Solomon. And after his death, Solomon has to clear up some of the mess of David. And he goes out and starts taking out those who are traitors against the country. And he gets down to Joab, the general of David. And there's blood on his hands. And he is a traitor. And he went with his brother instead of Solomon. And Solomon now has been blessed. And he knows God is for Solomon. And so Joab, as they're chasing him, he runs into the tabernacle and he grabs the horns of the altar and he says, you can't kill me because I got a hold of the horns of the altar. You don't tell Solomon that I am protected by the power of God because I got a hold of the altar. 
God know, the Lord God knows that there is blood on his hands. And so therefore there is no protection to him. And you go in and you slay him as you have said, right there holding on to the horns. The Lord God says there's blood on the hands of America from 50, 60 million young ones. And there is blood on your hands. And so even though you try to grab a hold of the horns of the altar, the horns of the altar has fallen off. There's no protection. And Joab died right there beside the altar. Now I think you know why I hit my knees and began praying for everyone and for our nation and for our leaders. I've cut them off. And then he goes on in verse 14 and says this. This is to the leaders of the land if they will not hear you. He says, I cut the horns off the altar, they fall to the ground, and those who are in power, I am going to destroy your winter house and your summer house and your houses of ivory, that's the places where the rulership comes from, they're going to perish. The great houses, like the White House, shall have an end. Thus saith the Lord. And if for no other reason than to save their own bacon, if we can get this message to those who are in power, what even our governors across the start with the states, what's the governor's place called? The governor's mansion. Governor, if you do not abide and start acting godly enactments upon this state and all the governors of the states and then pressuring the United States of America as a federal to follow suit, the Lord God says, oh, you, you've got your riches from the blessings that I gave to you. You've got your summer home, your winter homes, your ivory palaces. You live in the governor's mansion. You live in the White House. You live in your stately House of Representative and your Senate. But let me tell you something. Thus saith the Lord God, when I, if I am going to cut off the horns of my people, of the altar and the church, then I am also coming after you first because you guys made the laws. And I am going to destroy your summer home, your winter home, all your wealth, in other words, and your pomp and your show-offiness and your pride. I am going to cut off your ivory houses and your governments. They will have an end, and you're going to be ruled by someone else. There's no more protection left for the nation or for the people. So I suggest all of you who are here, you are fervent Bereans. You love God and his word. And we need to submit our prayers to God and we need to take this message to our leaders in hopes that it will enact change in our country. Amos means a heavy burden bearer. And his message is a, a, a heavy burden. And it's been a heavy burden on me the last few days. And like I said, we've had difficulties Twice I have preached this entire thing and it didn't go through. I pray this one does when I go check it, but it's because the message needs to go out, but the adversary doesn't want it to go out. If you will pray and not only pray, but take these messages to your mayors, to your Congress, state Congress and Senate to the governor and then go to the federal level. If you have an avenue to any one of those senators, to those representatives, to the vice president or to the president, you get this message through to them that if they do not repent quickly, 
change the course of this country. They, their summer homes, their winter homes, their everything, even this land in the White House will be destroyed, thus saith the Lord. And when I get through with each one of you, when the lion gets done roaring and prancing on the prey, there's going to be nothing but two leg bones and a piece of ear left. That is, that's the promise. And you don't think so? God kept talking. If we go through chapter 4, he was saying there in chapter 4, he goes on with them. Every one of these things, go to Bethel, he says in chapter 4, verse 4. Go to my house. There's sin there. Gilgal, go there, but tell them to sin no more. But here's what you do. You bring your sacrifice every morning, your tithes every three years. You burn your leavened bread as a thanks offering. But you know what? All of this is what you do in a way that you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord God. But you have not done it to glorify me or follow my word. Therefore, I, this is God speaking, I give you empty stomachs. I withheld your rain. Verse 7, it is I who do these things. Yet, declares the Lord in verse 6 and in verse 8, Yet you did not return to me. Verse 9, many times I struck your gardens and vineyards with blight and with mildew. But yet you have not returned unto me, declares the Lord. Verse 10, here's the one that parallels us. I sent plagues among you. That's the virus. Just like I did in Egypt. And I healed your young men with the sword. And I captured all of your horses. That's your modes of transportation your way of war. I filled your nostrils with the stench of death in your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Why have I overthrown you, declares the Lord? Because you have went about your ways. You've kicked me in the teeth when I have blessed you, and you will not repent and return to me. And folks, if we don't get our nation repented, it's going to happen. The word of God says so. He's pointed it to us. God says, I don't do it unless I reveal my secrets and lay the secrets out. God is doing it, and he's acting now. We've got to get on our knees, and our leaders have to act. And then I told you when I began that there was a couple of things that chilled me to the bone. I'm going to close now with one of them that chilled me to the bone. Chapter 6, verse 8. Turn to Amos 6. I want you to go to verse 8. And if this don't give you the icing on top of the cake, and chill you too. I don't know what will. This is a direct quote of what's going on right now. I want you to listen. We already started with 40 years and with the Ten Commandments. And with the 40 years and the judgment came from Syria. We've talked about several things. Now I want you to look at this one. The Lord God has sworn by himself in verse 8 of chapter 6. He's done that because there's no higher thing. If he swears by himself, it has to be true. He's sworn by himself, saying, I abhor your pride, Jacob. That's us acting in the flesh, our nation acting in the flesh, not you, unless you have it. I abhor the pride of Jacob. That's the house of America. It is not no longer God's place. I hate your palaces. That's your rulers where they are. That's your senate. That's your house of representatives. That's your judiciary branch of the Supreme Court who made that. I hate your palaces. I hate them. I hate your White House. 
Therefore, I'm going to deliver up that city and all that is in it. Now, I want you to listen. Listen real close. This verse hit home. It shall come to pass that if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. What national ordinance came out when this started about social distancing? No one shall gather in more than a group of ten. Well, dear nation, you should have made it a group of nine. Because ten is the number that the God of heaven chose to reveal to us. And that's why that was, number was given, I am sure, by the power of God that he wanted us to know that ten was the number. When you say, okay, we're, we're going to avoid this, we're going to avoid this plague, this sar, this enemy that's going to sap our strength, we're going to avoid it by not gathering in more than ten. But the Lord says, you ain't listening. Still, you still ain't moving with fear. You're still writing in the things that you want into your bills and living like you want to live. So let me tell you something. You might have said, we'll go down to 10 and we will stop this. But the Lord God says that if 10 men are gathered into one place, they shall die. And when a relative of those dead will come to, to get the bodies, and with the one who's going to go and burn them, the morticians, and they come to pick up the bodies from out of the house, it says that they will holler out and say, is there one in the house left? And are there any more with you? And they would say from inside, none. There is none left. And they will say, hold your tongue, for we dare not mention the name of the Lord. Folks, if there is ever a sign from God that is trying to speak to us, it is this. That you are still defying me, and though you say don't gather in more than ten, I say that if ten are gathered together, only one of you is going to be left. Nine will be, be gone, and the one in the house. And there, now fear will come upon you, and people will say, don't mention the name of the Lord unless it comes unto us. You waited too long to get the fear of God into you. It comes now. It has to start now before it's too late and before there's only one out of ten left. And there's never been a sure sign of what's going on than this. The Lord God is revealing his secrets, and we have to act upon it. So, folks, I swear I wanted to bring you a lesson today of comfort. I've got one picked out from Exodus that I've told you before that I have tried and tried to, to say this is the week for this one. It's a lesson of encouragement that you are in the place that you are. Because God has got you here and he's going to deliver. And as I started to do that, my spirit was like, no. And, and the, the, what I felt in my spirit was, there'll be time for that. We need encouragement later. We're just starting. We're just getting started in this journey. Today, my people need to know the secret. They need to know why this is happening and so that we will be motivated to move. That is what is happening today with this lesson. The lessons of encouragement are coming. But I pray for every one of you every day. I pray God to protect you and to keep you from harm. The Lord loves you and you're his people. And he will bring you through the storm like he did 
Noah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Joseph, from any of the captivities, Daniel, from whatever it was, the Lord will even bring you from a lion's den or from the fiery furnace. But we might have to be through that because the nation is falling. We have just a little bit of time, folks, please. Walk in the light. Make your prayers known to God so he's got exhibits to show why he's not going to bring this and he will halt it upon our nation. Get it to our leaders. Make our leaders understand what's going on. And then, folks, I pray that you stay safe this week, that you enjoy life and you stay grounded firmly in the word of God and in the promises and in his son, Jesus Christ. And as we prepare to go now, I turn it over to Ray again, and I'm going to ask him to close us out with another song. Let's live life this week. Let's enjoy it. Let's stay strong and grounded in the word of God and in his son, Jesus Christ, and in those promises in the word. And folks, put your armor on. And then when it talks about your armor, it says, and above all, continue in prayer. So have your armor on, walk in the light, and continue in prayer. And may God bless each and every one of you this week. 
We love you all in Christ. God bless.